the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You may be familiar with the painting. It is an incredible and historic one, perhaps, for people of faith. It depicts two steep cliffs and a gigantic chasm in between. And across the chasm, from one cliff to the other, sits the cross. And, of course, the notion of the cross being the bridge to which mankind might be reconciled unto the Father. The, the imagery is, is quite incredible. And in a very practical fashion, my guest today leads a church that very much lives up to both the ideal and the name. Joining me is the lead pastor of Bridges Community Church in Fremont, Pastor Nate Glaze. Pastor Glaze, great to have you with us today. Oh, thanks. Good to be here. That uh, imagery of that painting of the bridge, and I've got to believe it sits in somebody's office or maybe in the the uh, lobby of the church or, or, or something, but w- wonderful depiction of not only the role that Christ plays in bridging that gap between God and mankind, but as well as the role that, quite frankly, the church should play in bridging that gap between knowledge of God and who we are as the church. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, in so many ways, the name uh, Bridges, is, you know, we've been that for, we were uh, originally Fremont Evangelical Free Church. And, uh, we, you know, we came across the name, and I really believe it was the Holy Spirit leading us to that name about 15 years ago. And it really has, has served not just as, you know, what we put on the side of the road here, but really our mission that we're all about bridging relationships to pursue the life adventure of following Jesus together. And uh, it really is kind of kind of our heartbeat of, of who we are here. Representative of the Bay Region, certainly. I mean, I think we have more bridges within a short frame span of, of, of distance than perhaps any other metropolitan area in the country. I think there's seven total bridges that traverse one end of the Bay to the other. And along with that, as you point out, the notion of uh, bridging that gap between people and leading them to Christ. And my goodness, um, in terms of the number of bridges that need to be built, uh, again, probably a, a winner for the San Francisco Bay Area. You just look at the diversity of our region, uh, yeah. both from a socioeconomic standpoint, from the standpoint of uh, um, where people are in their faith or in their religious ex- life experience, coming from all parts of the world, all tribes and tongues. I mean, it's it's almost as if the mission field is literally out one's front door. It's interesting. We were um, kind of going through a process a couple of years ago thinking about our community. We're here in Fremont, which is, you know, kind of a suburb of the Silicon Valley. And we're a very diverse community. If you go to our local park, you'll see people from just about every background and culture and language and religious expression on earth. And in some ways, it's this beautiful picture of kind of connectedness. And But we also just realize that 
even though we are all kind of in proximity with each other, there's this huge gulf that divides people. You know, we're divided from each other. We're divided by language. We're divided by socioeconomic standards, standing. We're divided by all these different things. And most importantly, that the vast majority of our neighbors are divided from a loving, living God who is calling them to himself and just really felt this deep calling in our, our life and our family life together. Okay, how do we, as a church, how do we bridge those relationships with all of our neighbors, regardless of their background, regardless of where they've come from or their language, to, to share the good news of Jesus so that they can enter into relationship with him? Peel back a little bit of the, the curtain, if you would, and help us understand how one actually goes about doing that, because there are so many layers of complexity, and, and certainly some folks, I think, get scared off. If you don't look like me, talk like me, worship like me, I don't quite know how to handle that. And so we, we tend to kind of cloister. I, I think it was uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who opined or observed that America is no more racially divided than it is at 11 o'clock Sunday morning, meaning to suggest that we don't see that kind of blending even in the body of Christ, as we ought to, which is a shame because, you know, uh, there's going to be a lot of diversity in heaven, whether we like it or not. You know, <laughs> when the gospel is for all mankind, um, that kind of intimates that nobody's going to be left out for all that who should come and bow and surrender. And so with that thought in mind, what is the approach in terms of bridging relationships with so many different people with such great diversity of language and culture and background. Yeah. So I think um, our, our journey as a church is a little bit of a, I think kind of ignorance led by the Holy spirit just kind of guided us through um, the place that we find ourselves now uh, over the past several years, or actually past 20 years, our community has changed a lot, like most of the Bay area. Um, and, you know, 20, 30 years ago, we were predominantly white community. And so we were obviously a predominantly white church, predominantly English speaking. That kind of made sense for who we were in our community. Um, and as our community began to change, uh, God brought leaders, individuals into our church that had a heart to reach their neighbors and had a heart to reach people who spoke, you know, the language that they grew up speaking. And so uh, it started, I believe, with a, a deaf fellowship here. Um, we Fremont's home for California School of the Deaf, so we have a large deaf community here. And our lead pastor at the time had a deaf daughter. And so kind of together, they started a ministry. They really wanted to see not just a, a church that had um, an interpreter, uh, somebody signing, but really a, a deaf church that could reach this community. And um, a little bit later on, uh, some folks who came from a Cantonese background uh, just had a passion to start a fellowship here for Cantonese speakers. And then a Mandarin fellowship began and uh, Telugu. And so it's just been cool as God has brought people into our community and they've looked at their own kind of communities. OK, how do we how do we reach out? Um, and then one of the things that I think was really strategic for us early on is uh, we made the decision that we were just going to have one um, family ministry program, one kids, man, one student ministries. And that's really been this unifying factor for us that, that we all go worship in our different language fellowships. Uh, 
and yet our kids are all together and we have a really wonderful patio here at Bridges. And so after the service, we're all together. And so even though we, we might kind of separate out based on language, when it comes down to it, we are truly one church. And, um, from that kind of multi, I think it started as a multilingual kind of movement here, but it really has become a multicultural uh, movement here because even, you know, within our English fellowship, we're a majority, non-majority church. You know, the, we have folks from all over the world who come and different backgrounds and cultures and just trying to figure out how to, to follow Jesus here in, in the Silicon Valley and, and honor him with their life. So. It's, it's been a fun journey. And it sounds like the approach has been, uh, rather than sort of creating a silo, which is what most churches do, and, and whether or not that's that's done intentionally or just organically, we sometimes kind of silo. It's of the comfort area, the comfort zone for us, so we stay with what we know. Sadly, though, that also suggests or um, gives a message out to people from the outside looking in that you're not going to quite be comfortable here because you're not going to feel any sense of home here. And yet, I think what you're suggesting, Pastor Glaze, is this notion of bridges really being an, an incubator, so to speak, for new thought new idea clearly within you know the 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 framework of guidelines of of mainstream christendom but is it is it fair to say that there has been an openness to allow people to come forward and say hey i have an idea it might be crazy but it just might work in terms of being able to get everybody involved in the community and be as dynamic as possible in reaching out to the community so that when folks look in, they don't see a bunch of strangers, but rather they see themselves in a sense. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. And uh, I wish I could take credit for it, but it was leaders before me that have kind of laid the, the groundwork for the culture that we have here. But it really is a, it, there's, there's been a culture here that says, this is not my church. This is this is God's church. And um, so when people come with ideas, when they come saying, hey, I want to partner, I want to lead, I want to um, do this thing that God has put on my heart. There's been a real openness to that saying, yeah, let's let's explore that. What do you need? Um, how can we serve you with facilities, with resources, even with people? Um, and it's been a, it's been just the greatest blessing doing ministry in that context um, because as God has brought leaders from different cultural backgrounds, I think it's it's made all of us richer in our in our faith because now we're we're learning from each other, we're discovering these uh, beautiful truths that I think God implanted within cultures that that people are able to bring to the conversation, and so I think we're reading Scripture with fuller perspective, and um, yeah, just really appreciating the the glory of our God, who is a God who created all humanity and all of our diversity uh, to glorify him. Our conversation today with Nate Glaze, lead pastor of Bridges Community Church of Fremont. We'll take a brief time out and come back to more of our dialogue in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're visiting today with Pastor Nate Glaze, lead pastor of Bridges Community Church of Fremont. Pastor Glaze, let's come back to our conversation from just a moment ago. One of the unique dynamics that I think anybody who spent time 
um, visiting your church, uh, Bridges Community Church in Fremont, would be uh, taking notice of the idea that it's not just sort of the, um, well, we'll build a building, hang out a sign, and surely they'll show up, but rather right. to be very engaged in the local community. What's the, the old phrase about, you know, don't tell me you love me, show, you, show me you love me. And toward that end, uh, Bridges was one of the first churches in the East Bay to uh, to join up with CityServe mm. and to get involved in a very practical way um, of, of demonstrating that love so that it's not just, you know, we four and no more inside of our cloistered walls, but rather truly opening the doors, going out into the highways and byways, so to speak, and, and to actively do everything that can be done to demonstrate Christ's love to the local community. And I'm just wondering, from your perspective, how is that working, and is it proving to be an effective outreach tool? Yeah, for sure. I mean, our partnership with CityServe has been awesome, and I think I love the, you know, Fremont, and, and I hope that there's other cities uh, around the country and even in the Bay that experience the kind of unity that we do amongst the churches here. We've got great churches and uh, people who love the Lord here in Fremont. And so kind of joining together to say, hey, how do we make an impact on our city? How do we uh, don't just have an address in the city, but truly uh, love our community? Um, I joke sometimes that communities are church's middle name. We're Bridges Community Church. And so if we, <laughs> you know, if, if we quit caring about our community if we quit engaging in practical ways um we're missing part of the point of why god has placed us here so whether it's um kind of local initiatives where we're serving um the you know kind of the wave of afghan refugees who have been coming through this this last couple of years or whether it's caring for our unhoused neighbors um, all of these different avenues that we've been able to partner with CityServe has just been a a wonderful opportunity for us as a church. Has it had to be very intentional in terms of getting everybody engaged? And, and I ask that question because, let's face it, we see in our in our general society in the West these days, and and specifically in America, a lot of lining up between the us's versus the them's, the they people, those people, um, you know, it, it, almost as if we have um, failed to recall our history throughout the entirety of this nation of being a nation of immigrants. And yet, sadly, sometimes we see that sense of almost a fear and, and that fear leads to isolation. And yet in the Bay Area in particular, I mean, this has been such a magnet for people from all over the planet to come because of work opportunities and the Silicon Valley and, and, and certainly attitudes. And I'm just wondering that notion of being able to help sensitize people to the pain of others. How challenging is that? Yeah, I think it's it's critical and it's challenging. You know, our church, like many churches in the Silicon Valley, the vast majority of us aren't from here. You know, we've all come to the Silicon Valley to, for whatever reason, most mostly to, to make our Silicon Valley dreams come true. And so we've left behind, um, most of us, uh, I've left behind kind of family and community, um, maybe even our, our place of kind of worship. And, and so there's a, we've come to this kind of this culture that's not really our own. And it's, 
easy to kind of insulate in that environment when you're feeling sort of alienated and sort of out of your comfort zone. Um, the, the most natural thing would be to find some people who kind of look and act and think like you and just kind of gather together and find some safety, at least in your worship space that maybe you don't feel in your job environment or in your school or, or wherever you live or can play. Um, and so to, to kind of break out of that, to take intentional risk, to say, no, I believe that the gospel calls me to live um, for the sake of others, not just for the sake of my own comfort and my own security. And that can be really challenging, especially when you're, you're feeling a bit insecure in your place of just kind of existence. Um, but I also think that's where we find the greatest joy is is coming alongside of this redeeming God who has rescued us and has called us to himself and, and invites us to actually get to play a, a, a role in his redemption story. It's, it's awesome. And that's been, I think it's really a catalyst even for our own internal uh, spiritual growth is when we're able to serve others and, and it really gets to the heart of the whole gospel message. I mean, you know, the, the, the passage of Scripture where Christ is asked directly, well, what's the greatest commandment? Exactly. And he doesn't hesitate, you know, b- both in terms of the necessity to first and foremost and always love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, body, soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And, you know, a lot of Americans are very good at loving themselves. Ronald Reagan talked about the me generation back in the 1980s. Wow. If that was the me generation 40 years ago, then I imagine today it must be defined as the me, 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 me generation, the way way things have have devolved. And yet the notion that Christ puts the focus not on ourselves, but rather says, hey, you know the way you think of yourself? You need to regard your neighbor likewise. And boy, that really begins to change the way we not only then see each other as we see them through Christ's eyes, see everybody out there as not an enemy with varying you know, political positions um, or uh, customs that we may not be familiar with or comfortable, mm-hmm. but rather to instead see them as everyone for whom, like ourselves, Christ died and for who everyone, this wonderful, glorious message of God's grace and salvation needs to be communicated. And, and, I, and I wonder if maybe sometimes we as the church, because we sometimes feel the threat from without, tend to sometimes cloister within and as a result miss out on these opportunities for engagement and for really being Christ's true representatives in the flesh here on earth. Yeah, I think that's kind of the story of the Good Samaritan, right? When Jesus tells that story, uh, the question is, who is my neighbor? And Jesus defines it as your neighbor is your cultural other, your political adversary, um, the person that you actually think is threatening the purity of your faith. Uh, that's your neighbor. And um, and in that story, it's it's actually the neighbor who shows the love, the other who is the the one who <laughs> models what it means like to to be the church, which is a pretty powerful example to us. Um, yeah, and so then the, the question is, how do we live that out in 
the Bay Area? How do we live that out in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces? And it's, it's pretty exciting. Bridges Community Church is obviously quite intentional in that approach. I mean, in addition to being involved with City Serve, you have a very clear and open stated goal of a commitment to racial justice, which is important. I mean, justice is at the very core of the gospel message. I mean, let's face it, it's it's nice to concentrate on God's grace and what it means to live in the new covenant under the New Testament. But all of that is for nothing if we don't have it in context of God's holiness and righteousness and judgment from sort of a new covenant. Our conversation today with Nate Glaze, lead pastor of Bridges Community Church of Fremont. We'll take a brief time out and come back to more of our dialogue in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're visiting today with Pastor Nate Glaze, lead pastor of Bridges Community Church of Fremont. Now, Pastor Glaze, I want to return to your comments a moment ago. It's hard to make you feel happy about the fact that I've just pulled you out of a burning house if you have no point of reference as to the pain that fire can cause or the damage that smoke can do to your lungs. If it's just, you know, another day in the park for you, it doesn't have as much significance. But if we look at the gospel message and God's grace in light of God's righteousness and judgment, now it takes on a whole new meaning. And and I'm wondering, in addition to that notion of, of caring for others being transformative for a church, have you also found uh, found uh, Pastor Glaze in your years involved with the Bridges Community Church that it's transformative for individual lives within the church? Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, one of the beauties and challenges of being part of such a diverse church is uh, we're affected by different things. You know, different news stories hit us differently. And the things that grieve my heart might not necessarily grieve the heart of my brother and sister. And so part of our journey together is, um, you know, especially when it comes to racial justice, is trying to listen well to each other, trying to understand how different um, societal sins affect each of us differently and affect our communities and our experiences. And it's caused us to to have some really hard conversations and really try to understand, okay, well, what is it, what does it look like for me to truly love you, to truly know you, uh, to understand the gospel and the redemption of God in the midst of our broken world? And what is, what does justice look like in a world that is crying out for justice? I mean, every day you turn on your, your news, however you get your news and you're bombarded with injustice, with unrighteousness. And so how do we um, grieve together? How do we lament together? How do we work together to to live out the, the calling God has put in our lives, in our, our local context and families, in our communities? Um, and it, it's a journey we're still on, you know, and I feel like every day we're, we're kind of learning from each other. And uh, but it's been it's been really great for myself, even just again to understand the heart of God and the brokenness of humanity. When you start talking about these issues, you really see your own your own brokenness and your own need for for salvation. Yeah, indeed. I mean that you know, I, we we tend to be real good in the sense of self righteousness department. Yeah. 
But that sense of awareness of our own brokenness, our own sin nature, our own depravity, oftentimes we'd rather not hear about that. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. you know, Paul was reminded um, that he had to uh, die daily to the flesh, and I think that is an important reminder for for all of us. But also the notion, and I think you've touched on this, that this is not a, a singular event, but rather a journey. Uh, Paul also talked about, you know, working out your salvation and the necessity day by day to die to the flesh, surrender to him, learn more, grow more. Um, we're, we're all in that process of purification, um, headed toward our ultimate destination, realizing that this is just kind of a temporary passing through, a blink of an eye from a time standpoint. Though while we're down here on earth, that might be difficult to relate to. In, in God's economy, that's exactly what it is. It's just a matter of a, the blink of an eye. And before you know it, our life here on earth is done and we're off to eternity. The question, of course, is which eternity are we off to? And what's the nature of our relationship with God heading in that direction? And so it 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 seems to me that there is the the notion of as you've just suggested ongoing work and growth and learning new things about not just the word and our savior but new things about ourselves and each other too along the way yeah absolutely i think i love that image in first corinthians 13 we just uh, I wrapped up a series on that but uh you know paul talks about I'm looking in a mirror dimly and I just imagine a a piece of metal that's been polished as good as it can to be a mirror back in the ancient world. Um, And soon I will see face to face. And I just think that's, that's where we're at, right? We're, we're looking in a mirror dimly right now and we, we catch glimpses and we see God has revealed himself to us, but, and he's revealed ourselves, our brokenness to ourselves, but it's still this dim mirror. And, and we long for the day where we're going to be able to see him face to face. And we're no longer going to um, imagine his perfect justice, but we're going to see it and we're going to experience it. And that relationship with him is going to be um, perfected. And so, yeah. And and yet right now we, we are still looking in a mirror dimly in a way, you know. I'm curious from your perspective, not not to go down too much of a uh, theological rabbit hole here, but but you, you make a very valid point. Uh, and if I'm not mixing my metaphors, I think the other portion of that passage is that, you know, now that we look through a, a glass dimly, when we see him, we shall be like him mm-hmm. bef- because we will see him as he is. That suggests to me in in reading that passage that it's progressive, meaning that we are working towards, heading towards something. Now we see and understand things dimly, but when we see him face to face, we will be like him because we will see him. We will really understand then finally the complete fullness of God, which is mind-boggling, you know, to, to, to try to understand the, 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 the infinite love with our finite mind is a, is a big task. And I know God appreciates that. <laughs> but suggestive of the fact that, again, it ought to lead us in what we do day by day, not just in our going to church and, and, and studying the word and raising our family, but in our engagement with other people and, and, and the way on a day-to-day basis we represent Christ to see ourselves as those ambassadors on behalf of the kingdom of God 
because this is the ultimate goal that we are working toward. And in that process of working out our salvation and drawing closer to him and becoming more sanctified and perfected, that God uses us then along the way in each of the lives that we have an opportunity to touch and impact for the kingdom. Absolutely. It's about maturing, right? That's, again, the other metaphor that's used in that same passage is about a child who matures. You know, once was a child, I talk like a child, and now I'm a man. And, and so the beauty of the Christian faith is while it will never be perfected until, at least my theological understanding, until eternity, um, and yet we are being made more and more like him. We are growing, we are developing, we are learning, and... Um, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful relational development that we get to be on. We have shared today, Pastor Glaze, with our listeners, sort of the 30,000-foot high view of life within the body of Christ at Bridges Community Church. Now, take us down a few notches, if you would, for folks say, I'm fascinated by this. This seems to be just the kind of church that would be ideal for my family. Uh, tell us a bit more about what goes on at Bridges Community Church. Yeah, so we're, um, uh, you know, we're located kind of in the north side of Fremont. We're definitely a community church. Our, our heart is to see, you know, our neighbors come to know and follow Jesus. So practically, you know, that, that really is, um, it's about us gathering together. It's about, um, we spend a lot of time just practically, we eat a lot of food together. We uh, we spend a lot of time doing practical things with each other. Um, we're a little bit of a, you know, we've been around for 50 years, but in some ways coming out of the pandemic, uh, we feel a little bit like a church plant right now. Um, mm. It feels like we're kind of still finding our legs, to be honest. You know, kind of every program we start, even if we've done it for 50 years, it feels like a brand new thing. We're trying to get off the ground and we're finding new leaders. And every week I show up at Bridges and I'm like, I don't feel like I know half of the people here. And I'm trying to like introduce myself to people and and kind of connect. So we're a church that's growing. Um, We're a church that's learning and kind of, yeah, planting in in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, we're we're a family, and uh, you know we're not a huge church, so we're still able to kind of get to know most of each other and uh, do life together. And I think that's a good thing. You know, oftentimes you know we we as Americans and and the and particularly in the West, um, our our yardstick for success is always numbers, numbers, numbers. Whether you're running a a business or a football team, how many showed up to the game or in the stands, how many widgets did we sell this month? But there's a lot to be said for a church that is not gargantuan that allows that iron sharpening iron experience when the church is so big that you can show up and and head out and nobody has a clue that you were there because it's so big that you're completely unnoticed i don't know that that's exactly the way the church was designed to function at least not from the example we have in the new testament in the book of acts or even the first century church so um small er can be a very 
good thing in terms of growth and development and that sense of community and belonging, too. Uh, with that yeah. said, we mentioned that you uh, meet at 505 Driscoll Road in the city of Fremont. Service times on Sunday morning at 11 a.m. And you can go to their website for more details at Bridges CC, think Community Church, BridgesCC.org. That's BridgesCC.org. Anything special coming up over the summer months? No, I mean, we, we're, like I said, we're kind of rebuilding as we go. So we've got, uh, we're spending a lot of energy just really trying to make sure that our, our Sunday morning worship is a place that's kind of a spiritual high point in, in our weeks. We've got awesome, uh, we call them life groups. It's our, really the lifeblood of kind of community. There are Bible studies that are happening and uh, we've got quite a few. Uh, we've got a VBS that's happening this summer and different missions trips, lots of activity happening. Um, but probably the first step for most people would just be coming on a Sunday morning and worshiping with us and seeing where, where God might be leading them. If, if somebody's looking for a, a local church, and if you're there's a, lots of great churches around too. If you're perhaps new to the San Francisco Bay Area looking for a church home, or maybe there's been some changes in your family, and uh, now you're looking for a ministry that a little bit better fits, more hand in glove, so to speak, with the needs of your family, then why not come and check out Bridges Community Church? Again, they're meeting at 505 Driscoll Road in the city of Fremont. You can call 510 651 30 for more information that's 510-651-2030 or check them out on the web at bridges cc think community church bridges cc.org our thanks to nate glaze lead pastor with bridges community church pastor nate thanks so much for your time today thanks it's been a pleasure and now back to lifeline with craig roberts As we work through our working life, we're oftentimes, when we reach our 50s or so, focused on that special moment, that time when you finally get to walk into the boss and say, that's it, I'm done, and you head off on retirement. When you think about it, there are a lot of good reasons to retire, but if you think even more seriously, there are many good reasons not to retire early, as our host, Financial advisor and retirement planning specialist Pat Fitucci explains. And Pat, boy, it's it's easy to decide that we want to retire. Far more difficult to decide when not to retire early. Yeah, I don't want to talk about this today because I'm I you know most people want to retire early, so let's not even talk about this. I mean, come on, everybody wants to retire early, don't they? Well, maybe not. I have friends. They tell me the worst thing they ever did was retire. They get up, they have their cup of coffee, they read their newspaper. They're done. It's 8.30. What do I do with the rest of the day? My body can't take playing tennis every day. I'm not as motivated. What are you going to do after you quit work? That's the big question. You can't pick up the phone and call your buddies. Hey, let's go fishing. Let's go play golf. Let's go play tennis. Let's go for a drive. They're working. They're tired at night. Remember those days when you work all day and you fought the traffic and you you finally got home and you're full of energy and spunk and you want to say, wow, let's go out and do something. And there's nobody to go out and play with. They're all still working. So you have to know what you're going to do with your day after you quit. If you're a very social person, if you've got a lot of things on your to-do list and you enjoy doing them, then maybe you are a good candidate to retirement. But I got to tell you, a lot of folks that I counsel, they share with me that it ain't what it's cracked up to be. 
you know, we all need some intellectual stimuli. And if unfortunately or fortunately, our jobs create that environment that keeps us stimulated and motivated and social. There's always a social aspect. You go out to lunch with your buddies, maybe. Or maybe you go out for a glass of wine after work. It's real important to understand and drill down as to what you are really thinking about. If you hate your job, it is not a reason to retire early. You need to find a different job. So working in an enjoyable environment is actually better than not working at all. Maybe you, you don't like the people you work with. Maybe you don't like your boss, right? It's always the boss's fault why I actually retired. Take a parallel job in a different company. Find a job that doesn't pay as much, but the enjoyment factor is there. you got to really do some introspection as to why you're considering retirement. How about money matters? Do you have enough in your cash flow to cover that payroll check that you will not receive any longer? There's the monetary review as well. There's the psychological impacts. We've just covered those. And then there's the real greenback matters. Do you have enough greenbacks coming in? Is your cash flow sufficient enough to keep you in the lifestyle you've grown accustomed? And do not, do not say, well, I'm always going to make 10%. So therefore, I'm in great shape. No, pick a really small number, four or 5% perhaps. Be surprised on the upside, but don't put your rose-colored glasses on and say, oh, I'm always going to make 10%, so I, I can live on 10% of my 401k, my IRA, my savings. Big, big mistake. Always err on the side of being very cautious, have low expectations. It's always nice to have higher returns, and you can buy that car you've always wanted. You can take that trip to where you ever want to go. It's all about, do you have a net worth goal? that you've hit. Have you hit your milestone? That's called critical mass. You can't factor in the equity in your home if you're not gonna sell it and buy down or move to a lesser cost area. Take the house right out of the equation. What is your investable dollars? What's a four or 5% reasonable return on those investments? And can I live very comfortably with that number. Do we often make a mistake, Pat, in that we might calculate what our critical mass number looks like? And we're kind of watching two numbers. We're watching the number, the bottom line number that comes in on the quarterly statements. And then we're watching the number on the calendar. And when that date hits, we're already and charged up to run into the boss's office and fire ourselves, but not really considering the fact that once we hit retirement, Having a budget in place is really important because the overtime check's not going to be coming in anymore. The bonus check will not be there. And so if you haven't calculated what your expenses are going to be in retirement, that can be a critical mistake, can't it? Yeah. Uh, Mr. Rosenberg wrote a entire book on the number. It's called The Number. Your number, my number is different from anybody else's. Your critical mass number, how much you need in your pile of cash to say, okay, I'm done. Now I'm working because I really love it. And that critical mass number, that number is different, sometimes significantly, and it's all predicated on your lifestyle. If you're the kind of family or couple or individual that their idea of retirement is sitting in front of the TV watching soap operas all day, that's pretty inexpensive. In fact, it's very low cost. But if your idea of retirement is traveling a couple, three times a year to your favorite place or playing a lot of golf or whatever the issue is, what are the budgetary implications? So it, it is kind of an intersection of your critical mass number has been achieved and your age is such that, you know, you really say, okay, I'm tired now. My body is not holding up to 
that hour commute any longer. How about discussing it with your family? Certainly, you're going to discuss it with your spouse if you are married. It's probably a topic that dominates maybe the dinner topic at night. What do your kids think of of your term? And sometimes you get some real good wisdom from your children. If your parents are still around, talk to them about what they went through in deciding when it was time to pull the plug. Talk to your friends about it. Maybe even talk to a psychologist and finding out what do you get from your job today and will you be as fulfilled when you pull a plug and will you have enough stimulation of your everyday living? There are rows of books these days in the bookstore that covers retirement. How about a second career? There's a, a book I just bought, Your Second Act, and it really talks about what are you going to do for the rest of life for the next 30 or 40 years? And it's got some wonderful implications. Are you going to be a hunter? Are you going to you take up a bow and arrow? And, or are you going to go join a bowling league? What floats your boat? And having time on your hands is something we just never experienced before. We've always been busy. We get up early. We drive to work. We come home. We're exhausted. We put in a 10 or 12 hour day. And you have just enough energy to... You know, have dinner and sit in front of the boob tube for an hour or so, or maybe go for a walk after work. But now you've got the entire day. How are you going to spend it? Are you going to be stimulated, psychologically fulfilled, financially fulfilled? All those issues, I would encourage our listeners to to go to the bookstore, Google Second Act Careers, and does that include volunteering? It is not sometimes an easy transition. A lot of folks have said, you know, it's not what I thought it was. Don't be surprised. Do some research before you go in and tell your boss, hey, boss, sorry, I'm out of here. And finally, Pat, before you tell your boss that, it might be helpful if you have that discussion with your spouse or other individuals maybe in the family that will be directly impacted by your decision, either because the change in income levels or maybe just because you're going to be around the house more. Without a doubt, if you're going to be invading mom's space, her office, which is the kitchen, and you're going to be hanging around, a lot of my retiree clients find it really difficult to reintroduce themselves to their spouse. And now they've got time to reacquaint themselves with each other all over again and sometimes it's a it's a beautiful thing and sometimes it's not so be very uh mindful of that adjustment for both spouses especially if you know you've been married and now you're going to be spending a whole lot of time with each other so as we've learned while reaching retirement early might be a laudable goal just because you have enough money doesn't always mean it's the right choice for you Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.